0: Matthew chapter 18 verses 15 through 20. Matthew 18 verses 15 through 20, this is what it says. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over, but if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. So we're going to dive into this word this morning, and I want to say first and foremost, I know we're, we're going through the process of scripture, so I know that this won't apply to any of you in here. None of you need to hear this lesson, right? You all know how to deal with conflict in the church, I, I believe you. you got it taken care of, right? You, you follow the rules. You go through the process, but you know what? It came up in the lectionary. I thought, oh, what the heck? I'll teach about it anyway. So Jesus gives us this outline here, right? And the purpose, I want to share with you the purpose, first and foremost, is to have unity in the church. The purpose is that the church would be united, that we would be together, that we would be loving each other, that we would be able to stay one body. And, And it's obvious when we read scripture, all throughout God's word, that God has a heart and a passion for unity in the body. All through the word, it's clear that God wants his church to be one. He wants the body of Christ to be one. That's his desire. But it's also obvious that here in 2020 that we are anything but that. There's a black church and a white church. Within denominations, our, this denomination, the United Methodist Church, there are charges where there are three churches within ten minutes of each other because somebody liked a building and somebody liked their building, somebody liked, building, somebody liked this tradition, and, and because of history. Within the denominations, there's different denominations that have minor, minor, minor differences, and so they worship separately because of those differences. There are some bigger ones, but ultimately we all as Christians agree on the death, deity, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and, and for whatever reason, we go separate ways. So church, it's no secret that while we know that unity in the body is something that Christ absolutely called for and desired, that we don't do a very good job at it. And we can say that it's culture or it's preferences or it's worship styles or it's theological differences or it's any excuse in the book, but at the end of the day, when it comes down to it, maybe the real problem is that we're struggling to be Christ-centered, spirit-filled, sanctified individuals. That we're struggling to be the people that Christ called us to be. And I don't think there's any better example than how we deal with when we don't get along with each other. When somebody offends another person in the church. That's what Jesus talks about in this, this passage. You know, in life, what I've found is that there are people. I was a police officer, so obviously, I, you, as you can guess, I'm probably not a total pacifist. I think peace is a good thing, but I think sometimes you got to thump somebody to get them right, right? No, I'm, I shouldn't even say that today. Just accept my jokes and accept them for what they are. But... But some people are absolutely the opposite. Some people are total pacifists to the degree that they will avoid conflict at all costs. There is no circumstance whatsoever when they're going to actually confront someone with something when something has been done wrong. Some people don't uh, want to have anything to do with any type of conflict. There are also people... And there are many police officers this way. Let me, let me correct my joke with this. There are many police officers that are this way. There are people in general who are this way, that they like conflict so much that they're going to they're seek it, they're going to find it, that when it comes their way, they're going to confront somebody and they have no care what the damage is. There are good people and there are bad people. There are people who love peace. There are people who love conflict. But it's very difficult to find that person that will say, look, when something's wrong, I'm going to address it, and I'm going to address it with love. Not in any one career field, church, place, across the board, it's hard to find someone that knows how to say, look, you've offended me, I'm hurt, and I want to be reconciled. I want to be reconciled. But the beautiful thing is that when we talk about our Jesus, we can know that's always his heart. That's always his way. That when everyone else fails at this, that Jesus always, always, always says, I'm going to confront the brokenness with love for the purpose of bringing you back into relationship. That's who Jesus is. And so it's special that he gives us this kind of prescription to say, look, when someone in the body of Christ. Now, first and foremost, this is not for you to go out to someone in the street one-on-one first and say, Hey, look, you're screwed up. You messed up. I'm going to talk to you about it. And then come with someone else, two or three, and say, look, I talked to you about it before, but you're messed up. And then come back again and take your whole church with someone out on the street that's not a Christian and say, look, you messed up. This is for the church, right? He says, if your brother or your sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them out. Now, church, I want to note what's not in this verse or any of the next three. Nowhere does it say, when your brother or sister sins, talk about it on Facebook, vent to your mama, talk to your best friend about it, get the opinion of five or six others, then go talk to that person. It's not what it says. It says when your brother or your sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. So say I go and I talk to my brother or sister and I say, hey look, you did this thing it really hurt me. It's bothering me. I just don't think it was Christ like we need to talk about it and maybe maybe and more often than you may expect when it's spirit led maybe that person says, "You know what? You're right. You're right. You're right and I love you and I want to fix this problem. I want to be I want to be brought back into a good relationship, good standing with each other. You're right. I'm sorry." Maybe that happens. But maybe it doesn't. Maybe they respond, "You know what? I wasn't wrong." Or I was wrong, but I just don't care about it. I'm not going to change anything. It is what it is. Deal with it. Jesus says, if you're not listening, if they will not listen, take two, one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. The Bible's been consistent on this from Deuteronomy on. It says, When there are issues in the church, when there are issues with the people of God, have two or three witnesses with you to bear witness, not to condemn. You're not grabbing one or two others and saying, hey, let me bring somebody else to gang up on you. You're bringing two or three more so that they can witness the reconciliation attempt and the whatever follows. But Jesus says if they still refuse to listen, then tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. We're going to really dive deep into that verse because I believe that it points not only to this process, but to God's heart. Jesus says, listen, if, if bring it to the church, this does not mean have a church meeting like a congregational meeting like we're having right now where we're worshiping. Stop the worship and go, hey, I just want you to know Jordan has messed up and I want to point it out to the whole church so that we can address this. This means take it to church leadership in love. All this is in love. Take it to church leadership and address the problem with that person in your church. And then Jesus says, if they still won't listen, treat them as a pagan or a tax collector. Now to the Jewish ear that would have heard this, to the Jewish ear, what they would have heard was what we do with pagans and tax collectors is we we do not welcome them at all into our fellowship. We cast them out. They have nothing to do with us. We don't get anywhere near pagans or tax collectors. That's what a Jewish ear would have heard Jesus say is if they don't listen to any of these three attempts, cast them out and have nothing to do with them. That's what a Jewish ear would have heard. But church, I want this morning to look at God's heart in this passage. One of the things I love to, to talk about, one of the things that I'm very passionate about is you know, when we read the Word of God, one of the things I think we have to teach and get in our minds and get into the church today is this Bible, this Word, the Word of God, it's not about you. It's not about me. So when you read something, you can gain something from it, but first and foremost, you have to go, what does the Word of God teach me about God? It's about God. Every page, every sentence, every verse, every chapter, every book, it's all about the Lord. For his glory. It's only in that lens can we take in the word of God. And so the word of God shows us here. Check this out. It says, truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Here's this amazing promise because Jesus, as he's saying this, recognizes that we as human beings are not going to be able to do this process easily. Look, I know I'm guilty of this. When I have a problem with somebody, and this year it's been a lot, my first step, my first process is to probably go to to my wife and Tiffany, and after my wife and Tiffany, my team, I'm going to vent about it a little bit, and I just want to tell you first and foremost, like throw it out there. I am wrong. I am wrong each, there's no scenario where it's like, you know what, uh, you were probably okay to do that. No, I was wrong every single time. I was wrong. That someone offended me, and I didn't go to that person and say, listen, I just want to talk to you about this. You offended me. What you did really, I think, was wrong, and I want to talk about it. I want to try to fix it. Every single time that I did not do that, I was wrong. Church, I think it's time that we, as the body of Christ, that we read the word of God and we went, you know what? I bet God actually meant what he said here. It's hard. This is a difficult process. Look, it's not easy, especially in our world, where you can just tweet about it, to go to a person and say, look, you you did me wrong. One-on-one, you did me wrong. And then when they don't listen and they're unrepentant, you know, our gear, I think our culture's gear is to go, look, you did me wrong, so I want nothing to do with you. I'm done, you know what, so-and-so, they didn't listen to me, they offended me, they didn't fix it, and so we're parting ways, we're not friends anymore, we don't talk anymore. That's so easy to do, and I get that. And then to, to bring two more people and to go to that person, you know, the difficult part, I don't think is coming with two or, one or two more people coming as three. I don't think that's the difficult part. I think the difficult part for us is not ganging up on someone when we do that. I think the hard part is we want to go with two or three more people so that they can say, hey, he's right, you need to listen. Instead of going with love and saying, hey, look, I know, I know that we talked about this last week, but I want a couple more people here because I just want witness that I'm trying to seek reconciliation with you. I want someone to see that I really do want to fix this. That's hard to do. And nothing is harder in this process than after that doesn't work, taking that person in and saying, hey, look, so-and-so, we've got to have a church meeting about this. If you're a member of this church, if you're, if you're leadership in this church, if you have made the agreement that you are a part of this body of Christ, that you, you, you did the membership class, you said, you know what, I'm going to serve here, I'm going to love the people here, I'm going to follow Jesus here, you made a covenant, you made a commitment, and so to say to that person, you made this commitment, we're going to have to have a church meeting about this. That's hard. That's almost impossible. That hurts. That's painful. But check out this promise that God made. He said, truly, I tell you, look, if you follow this process, if you do what I said in the right spirit, in Jesus' name, and you do it in love, and you do it with the right heart, then I promise you, what you bind, I'll bind. What you loose, I'll loose. If they reconcile, that's amazing. God's going to bless that. If they don't and they go their own way, that's fine. You did what God asked you to do. He's going he's to be with you in that process. And then he says, truly, I tell you that if two, or two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. So he says, look, if you do this process, if you just follow what I said to the T, and you do it in my name, then your prayer, you're praying about this, your heart on this, it's going to be answered. Look, if you had to treat them like a pagan or a tax collector, that was painful. Jesus is almost saying, that's painful. I know. I bless it. It's going to be Okay. If they brought it, came back in, they're reconciled, you have the promise that the Holy Spirit is going to bless that reconciliation. That God is going to work out those hard feelings. You know, there's nobody in here. You can't, well, some people may. I can't. When someone confronts me about something I did, my initial response, because I'm argumentative, is my initial response, my mind goes, no, you didn't do that. You're not wrong. My second response is, okay, I'm wrong. I'm going to try to fix this. But I'm also going to walk the other side of the hallway and avoid you because I don't really want to face you for a few months because we had to deal deal with this. But God is saying, no, if you follow the process I gave you and they're reconciled, I'm going to bless that reconciliation. I'm going to be there to bring them back into the fold and bless that relationship. My spirit is going to bind you together to be the body of Christ that you were meant to be. Church, above all else, I think this is where we lost it over the centuries. It's this idea that if someone's different than me, if they worship differently than me, if they experience God differently than me, if they don't follow my traditions, if they're, I'm a Methodist, they're a Baptist, I'm Pentecostal, all this stuff, I think the root of it is that we didn't understand that Christ blessed us with his Holy Spirit to say, you know what, where you two people, you three people, you four, five, six people can't get along, I can bless that and make your union successful. Marriage, same thing. We get to a point sometimes in marriage where we're like, you know what? I'm just not jiving with this person. We're not getting along. Like, it's just it's just not what it was. And we miss the fact that when we stood at that altar, we made a covenant between ourselves and God. It was three ways. You, that person, and God. And when God was in it, that he can bless even the most far apart marriage. God will meet you in your relationships and love you in them. That's the promise that he makes in this dealing with sin In the church, he will be there. When God's goal is our goal, God participates. When God participates, our goal is God's goal. God will be with you in this difficult process. But above all else, look at what this tells us about who God is. The first thing is this right from the start, your brother or sister sins against you, you meet one on one. It says, if they listen, you have won them over. That tells you that right from the start, the goal, the hope, the heart was never that you would confront them, they don't listen, and they go their own way. It was always, always to win. they were brought back, to win. they were brought into reconciliation. Right from the start, he says, if they listen, you've won them over. Praise God. But the second thing is even better. Check this out. What do we do if we met with the church, they still didn't listen? What does the Bible say to do? Treat them as a pagan or a tax collector. Now, to the Jewish ear, they would have heard, cast them out, have nothing to do with them. These people are the worst of the worst. They're not welcome into our synagogues. They're not welcome into our worship. They're not welcome into our fellowship. Now, I want to tell you what I'm about to say. You can't take it too far because Jesus does absolutely mean, absolutely mean, that that person should no longer be an active member in your church. It means that. You can't stretch the word too far. It'd be, it'd be poor exegesis of Scripture to not consider that to be what Jesus means. But check it out. How did Jesus. How did Jesus treat pagans and tax collectors? One word. Love. Love. Do you see what this means? Jesus is saying, when you or your brother or sister in the church, when there's something between you that is wrong, when they have sinned and hurt you, and they don't listen, and they don't listen the second time, and they don't listen the third time, cast them out as far as membership and leadership, but continue to love them with the gospel. Now in this context, in the early church, this would have looked a lot different, and I admit it was a better process. Let me explain what I mean. If you went to church in Corinth, now this is before the church, Jesus has not even been crucified yet, but when the early church would start, if you went to church in Corinth, you had no other option as far as when to, if, as where you went to church unless you went to the next city. If you went to church in Corinth, that was the church in Corinth. They did it right, the way it was supposed to be. There was one church Per, in lo, per location, that followed Christ together, unified, one body. So if you were cast out, if you were excommunicated from the church, you had no option but to find a way to seek reconciliation with that church. If you wanted to be a part of the body of Christ, and they said you're, you're excommunicated, you could come and worship, you could hear the word, but when it came time for baptism, for communion, for leadership, for meetings where you decided who led in the church, things like that, you could no longer take part. So what Jesus is saying, look, if you get to that third step, this is hard, this is painful, but they can no longer be an active member or leader in that church. And in those days, the options were, I either reconcile and come back to this church, or I don't go to church. That was their options. Now today, let's be honest, brutally honest, what's going to happen when you get to step three, is your church meets, you say, you know what, brother, sister, you, you have shown that the Spirit of God is not convicting you about your sin. You have shown that you have no desire to be repentant about your sin. You have shown that you're not going to listen to anyone in your church. Your family members, your brothers or sisters, you're not going to listen. So we're sorry, but you're welcome to come to hear the word. We love you, but we've got to go separate ways. That's hard. But let's be honest. Today, what that would look like is that person, brother or sister, would go out the door. They would walk down the street, and they would find the next church. So the process doesn't quite work as well as it did then, but it's still the process, and Jesus is in in the midst of it, and it shows us his heart because the purpose, right, is saying, look, we want you to leave until you can repent and come back because we not only care about you being a warm body in the pew, we care about you actually understanding Jesus and following him faithfully. Our goal is not just to get converts that come in and say a special prayer and sit in the seats. Our goal is that we would be transformed into the image of Christ, And so as Christians, Jesus is saying, look, if you have a person in your midst that has shown you they have no desire to be discipled, that person probably doesn't understand who I am, and so send them out until they do so that we can actually be growing people and not just filling space in the church. Why this, I think, is so hard for us to hear and understand. One of the reasons, I believe, is because we live in a culture where every church, not just this church, the church down the road, every church to some degree is focused on one thing. How many people can I get in the space? How many people, better yet, how many people that can pay tithes and give can I fit in the space? Can I just tell you, church, and this is just on my, I didn't even say this morning, but it's just on my heart. Can I just tell you, that was never ever, ever, ever one of Jesus' focuses, ever. Jesus never taught a single time, I mean this, a single time, not a single time did Jesus teach and think, let me see how many people, now he got thousands of people, crowds, but Jesus, as far as we know, never stood there and said, let me see how many people I can get in this space. In fact, when the crowds were overwhelming, Jesus went off to be alone with the Father. This is entirely something that we have created, and so for us, when we hear, oh, we're casting people out, like, people are going to hear about that, and they're going to judge us, and, and there are going to be more people that don't come, and people in our church are going to get upset. No, I'm telling you, listen, Jesus said it, we do it. If we, didn't, if we picked a theme for the next 20 years in a church, one theme that we stuck with, I think it should probably be, Jesus said it, we do it. Jesus said it, we do it. Period. And I want you to see the beautiful thing about this. How beautiful reconciliation happens. Look at who God is from the start. Genesis chapter 3, what happened? God said, don't do one thing. One thing. And what did we do? The one thing he told us not to do. And because God was holy, because God was holy, there was a rift that was caused between humankind and God, and it started a pattern where God just knew from then on, God knew that human. The human spirit was going to be at conflict with God's spirit. He knew it's broken now. And in Genesis 3, we already see God having a plan of reconciliation as Adam and Eve go before God and they say, you know, we're naked, we're covering ourselves with plants. What does God do? He goes and kills animals. Blood is shed to cover their nakedness, to cover their brokenness. Right there in Genesis 3, God is already saying, Look, your sin, your brokenness, it's not compatible with me, but I, myself, I'm going to go find a way to reconcile you to me, and it's going to come at a cost. It's not easy. The story goes on from the fall. We go all the way to to the Israelites in Egypt, and we see them brought out of Egypt, and God brings them out in the Exodus, and they get into the wilderness. They've just been rescued from slavery, and literally, like, not 40 days goes by, and these people are going, God, you rescued us, but we want to go against you. This food's not good enough. God brings them back. He reconciles them. He says, look, get your act together. Remember what I just did for you. Uh, He confronts their sin, this process. He confronts their sin. He brings them back into relationship with him. And then a few days go by, and what do they do? They build a golden calf called Baal, and they worship a golden calf in the wilderness after God just delivered them from their sin. Over and over and over again throughout scripture we see this process happen where the human spirit is at conflict with God's spirit and God does the work to confront the sin and bring reconciliation. Think about it. You get to the cross. This is where I think the church misses it sometimes when teaching the gospel. We've got to do better on this. You get to the cross. Understand what happened there. Jesus gets to the cross the process does not look like this. He gets to the cross. He sees all the sin that's ever existed. He sees every sin that you or I have ever committed, the sin and brokenness in our heart. He gets to the cross. He, nails, he gets up on the cross, and he says, here, the sin that you had, let me take it and throw it in the trash can. It's gone. I toss it away. It's removed. That's not how it worked. Think about it. Jesus went to the cross, and the only way that it could happen was to confront the sin. It couldn't be thrown out. It couldn't be forgotten. Every bit of sin was placed on Jesus Christ on the cross. We talk about the nails, we talk about the thorns, the lashes, the pain, the physical pain. But think about the weight of the entire world's sin placed on him on that cross. It came at a cost. Your sin had to be confronted. It has not changed today. Yes, you are forgiven by faith alone in Jesus Christ. But understanding who he is, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave lives in you. And that spirit's work is going to transform you to be more like Jesus. Church, if you hear nothing else this morning, hear this. What God intends to do with you is not just save you. He didn't just die to give you a ticket to heaven. He died so that you could be transformed into his image and be in relationship with God for all eternity. So that you could not only be saved, but sanctified to be more like him each and every day. This process is part of that. God is saying to us as the body of Christ, you have to have a standard and you have to have a standard for how you keep that standard. There's got to be a process that exists so that we as the body of Christ can look the way that we are supposed to look. Look, there's a world out there, I don't have to tell you, they don't know how to get along, period. They're awful at it. All it takes is you mention the word politics and you're going to see people from both sides and you're going to see two people that don't know how to confront each other at all without hatred in their heart. But not what if, it's absolutely true that the body of Jesus Christ, the church, us, we were meant to be a light in the darkness. We were meant to be a group of people that the world outside could look at us and see broken sinners saved by grace, who are being sanctified. That they could watch us and go, you know what? They're not perfect, but there's something about the way that they love each other. I watched them the other day. I watched Brother Johnny insult Brother Susie, and then they came together, and Johnny told Susie, or Susie told Johnny, that that she that he messed up, and they they fixed it. They reconciled. They love each other again. I've never seen two people get over something so quickly. They're meant to look at us and see, you know what? There's about that Jesus that's the point of this yeah it's hard it's almost impossible for us and ourselves but when they watch it happen and they see what the spirit does they know that we didn't do it God did it in us that's what our lives should say to everyone that we see they should look at us and go you know what I know that it's not Greg because I knew Greg before he met this Jesus guy but ever since Greg met this Jesus guy things are different He is doing things in a way that I have never understood. The love that he carries is amazing. How does he do it? And our response should then be, it's Jesus. But if we're so busy being like the world, we'll never point the world to Jesus. It'll never work. It'll never work. So I know that this is a difficult process that we've talked about this morning. But if you hear nothing else and if you're here this morning and you're still struggling to to believe in jesus you're struggling with your faith what i want you to hear is this god's heart is always for reconciliation god's heart is always that the sinner be brought home always always and he will go to great lengths look no further than the cross to bring the broken sinner into relationship with god but there's a price that has to be paid the sin has to be confronted it was confronted on the cross and we're always pointing one another now back to that what happened on the cross and what it means in our life that's why it says every day take up your cross and follow Jesus every day every day we have to be reminded what the gospel of Jesus Christ means to us every day so as I lead us in prayer if that's you, look, I, I want to encourage you. I think sometimes if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as not only your Lord and Savior, but your Redeemer, right? That's a big part, your Redeemer. That means it came at a cost. He paid a price for you. I invite you to pray this with me, but if you've been a, a follower of Christ your entire life, look, pray it again, make it fresh and anew. Just realize what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being with us today. And God, as we come to you, we acknowledge that we are broken in our sin short of the grace of Jesus Christ. We come to you as broken sinners in need of salvation. God, we place our faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died on the cross for our sins. We place our faith that on the third day, He rose from that grave, conquering sin and death forevermore. Lord, we thank you for that great love. And now, Lord, we pray that you would give us the strength, the power to live in that promise, in that covenant, to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ. We love you and we thank you.